Hello and welcome to A Marvelous Escape, your podcast looking at the weekly release of the new Marvel streaming shows on Disney+. Plus. I'm your host, Aaron Mooney, and joining me are... Uh, Casey Wosu. And Amy Campbell! All right, so let's jump in. We are talking about the second episode of What If, uh, written by Matthew Chauncey. What if, what if T'Challa was a Star-Lord? And so to kick off the discussion, I'm going to say I kind of like this episode. I like this episode a great deal more than I like last week's. A lot of my same complaints are kind of in effect. I think the animation is not great. I don't think it's very good at being expressive. I didn't particularly like the action, but I do think that it, it worked a bit better at giving me what I complained about last week, which was last week, one of my big complaints was you changed the lead character in this story, but the story remained fundamentally the same. One of the things I actually really admired about this episode was you changed the lead character in this story and it became a completely different adventure altogether. And I actually really like that. Now, I do have some reservations. We'll go back to those in a moment. But what about yourself? So what about you, Casey? What did you make of the second episode of What If? Um, While I did enjoy the first episode uh, probably a lot more than you seem to, um, I do agree that... this was a much better episode, like kind of by leaps and bounds, because for that exact same reason, like uh, so much was changed and new and fun to see happening because they made a particular character change. And it sort of, in a sense, informs a lot more about the character who they've now put in this role as a result. And because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Black Panther slash T'Challa is probably one of my favorite Marvel characters uh, ever since he's you know blown up in popular culture. Like I'm not gonna pretend that I was a Black Panther fan like forever. I wasn't, <laughs> but Don he's definitely one of my favorites for life. now. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he's definitely one of my uh, favorites now. And um, this this really kind of celebrates his character, like just the character of T'Challa in a way that um, that is just really moving and touching and like mm. you know. Putting on top of that, you know, Chadwick Boseman's attachment to the character and the legacy that he's left behind after his passing. Uh, I I was in tears at the end of this episode. I don't know if that happened to anybody else. Yeah. But I could not stop myself from, like, legit crying at the end of this episode because it, it really kind of moved me. What about yourself, Amy? What was your kind of reaction? Well, first of all, were you in tears by the end of it? But what was your, your general reaction? I, 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 I was crying at the end of it. It's hard not to because of that attachment to that um, to Chadwick Boseman and his portrayal. Um, but I think Casey absolutely nails it there. Like it is a testament to that character, the effect they had on the world. And out of all the possible what ifs you could have gone with it, I am so glad it was he just was a good person. Yeah. That this character through and through, no matter what setting you put them in, is there to help everyone else. Um, and that's something we don't often see. Like, sure, it's... It's the underlying assumption when you have a hero story that they are benevolent and their actions are never for themselves. But to really see that in action, I thought was really nice. And like, even when it's like, and then Thanos rocks up and, and you're like, what the heck? And it's like, well, he was right. And then, and then everyone's still trying to convince him. They're like, no, that just sounds like genocide. He's like, no, but it's random. <laughs> I, I didn't really like that insist. It's like, no, it's not, I'm not, I'm not a genocide person. Half the universe, not, not genocide. <laughs> and I thought that was really nice that it's like, you know, he may not have been able to change his beliefs, 
but he could change his heart and his actions and that is sometimes just as powerful if not more so and I thought there was something really delightful in that and it just getting to go some weird places with it um I'll leave my reservations out of this particular part of the discussion because it was one thing that weirded me out a little bit but I'll leave that until after everything else I loved I thought it was a wonderful wonderful concept it was. And I mean, I think like both of you kind of hit the, the nail on the head there, which is like the question of what a hero is, because like we we watch like superhero movies are everywhere. It's it's ubiquitous. Like there are so many superhero movies out there, so many movies in the MCU. And your Amy's entirely right that one of the things that does bother me a little bit about modern superhero cinema, particularly the MCU, is that it so rarely interrogates the question of what it actually means to be a hero outside of the fact that you are in a superhero movie and there's a big climax with CGI in the third act. And I think what I really responded to is it's pretty much exactly what Amy said there, which is the idea that like T'Challa is a fundamentally good person. And as Casey said, he's a fundamentally good person no matter which context he's in. He's not a good person because he was born to wealth and privilege. He's not a good person because he grew up as king of Wakanda. He's not a good person even because presumably he took the heart-shaped herb at, at a later age. He's just fundamentally in his bones a good human being. And no matter where you dropped him, he would have a positive effect and alter the world around him. Um, and even the fact that, like, as as Amy said, the Thanos thing is great because, like, that's that's heroism to me. And that, like, not only did T'Challa obviously save half the universe from Thanos, it, he also arguably saved Thanos himself. He redeemed Thanos. He he saved Thanos's soul in a very real sense. And I love like little jokes about how he's getting into gardening. But this idea <laughs> that yeah, or or how he's like he has maybe not a good relationship with Nebula, but a much healthier and better relationship with Nebula. Right, like than it's we much improved over yes. kind of where yeah. it was going. Yeah, um, in the timeline we know. But like the fact that yeah, even even that small act of redemption that T'Challa even saves the villain. Like the villain of like the entire Infinity Saga. I just, I, I absolutely loved that. And I thought it was really, really, really good. I um, I, I want to interject here because you're bringing up um, something that a lot of folks are going to recognize as like the kind of default shonen protagonist um, personality, like which is a big anime thing. Like the fact that your main character is so pure hearted yeah. that, you know, they kind of have this outward yeah. effect on everyone else. This is this is, like T'Challa is exactly like the he's he's basically the MCU's version of uh, Tanjiro from yes, uh, Demon Slayer. From Demon Slayer, where like right. in the movie Demon Slayer, there's a point where the demons go into his heart and find it so pure that right. they can't hurt him. It's like it was so pure in there. I don't know what I'm doing. Yes, no, I have. Uh, yeah, like it's, it's that exact same energy, and I, I love I, it. I want to throw a <laughs> counter to that though. Um, we do get a moment in this brief 30 minutes where when he sees that he had been lied to, he ain't happy mm-hmm. and he responds, probably not in the best way, but in a very real human way. And I often, when I'm looking at media, the thing I like to see is that people are presented as human and that being wholly human means being able to express and understand everything that we are capable of. And whether that is joy or anger and like the anger and sadness are okay. Um, And I don't know, like to me, that wasn't a, okay, I'm going to be the hero. He probably had a reason. Like he didn't try to justify that. He was like, F you. Um, 
<laughs> which is a totally reasonable response. And, you know, it probably still falls wholly within that archetype. Like, I, I certainly have no doubt of that. Like, you make such a good point. Um, but I do think there were moments there that maybe illustrated, sure, like, he is a really, like, that pure-hearted character, but there's some elements that spot through of him simply being an emotional just, yeah, just being human a, being, a, being a as human well. Being, right. Yeah. And you're, you're actually making me think, you're, you're making me double down on this now that you brought up that point. Because the fact that... Good. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, like in the actual Black Panther movie, right? Like to ch it takes a while for T'Challa to say, hey, we need to help the world, right? Yeah. And mm -hmm. that's because he grew up kind of sheltered within Wakanda. yes. Yeah, so it's the it's literally the fact that as a child, which is usually where most shonen protagonists start, they start as children where they're yeah. just all full of purity and, and hustle and whatnot. He was taken out of that world and just left to his own devices. Yeah. And he immediately was just this force of good that resonated out and changed the hearts of everyone around him. So it's almost to say mm. that him growing up within the, the palace or within yeah. those restrictions or the influence of, you know, the kings and whatnot was holding him back. And it took him a while to actually have his true self emerge. Yeah, no, so, I like that. I, that's like that. actually fascinating. Love that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think I think that's entirely correct there. And like, I think that's one of the things that I do find interesting because like so many of these stories tend to be like, well, superheroes are powerful, like they're kings and they're rulers and they're captains of industry and they're Norse gods. And I like that this is well, actually T'Challa being a king, ironically, made him less of a hero. Because right. as Casey points out, he like his father told him from a young age and he instilled in him this thing. And like even in Black Panther, you have this like again, I think like Black Panther is a really great movie. You have like the discussion with with uh, his father and, and with kind of the legacy around his father where he he clearly wants to go out into the world. But he's had it drilled into him as since he was a child that going out into the world will just bring pain and suffering, which obviously, you know, based on the events of Civil War, we, you know, kind of reinforce for him. But two things I just want to say there um, very quickly coming coming off that. Um, the first First one is with regards to him being the kind of stereotypical perfect shonen protagonist and i know that you're going to get people in the comments saying oh t'challa's a mary sue or whatever all that sort of nonsense that tends to pop up when characters like are decent human beings um two two things i want to know one is that i think it helps that Bozeman is legitimately funny here. Like the character has a sense of humor about himself and about the world in which he finds himself. So he doesn't feel like having watched some anime, not a lot of anime, but having watched enough anime that I, I recognize that archetype. I wish that more of them were self-aware and funny and kind of like cognizant of that. So I think that kind of works. Um, I also think that uh, to, to Amy's point with regards to his conflict with Yontu, and this is something that I actually really like about the structuring of the episode and how it remains true to the character and the story is the idea that no matter where where T'Challa found himself, no matter what story in which he found himself, no matter the setting in which that story unfolded, T'Challa's story will always be, and you could argue every superhero story, every Campbellian story is, but T'Challa's story in particular will always be the story of a son challenging a father for lying to him because that was the big arc in black panther was him going to his father saying you betrayed everything that you told me we standed for so we standed for you we stood for <laughs> um i'm so emotional i forget how to conjugate verbs but you like you you betray everything you told me is a lie you 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 know you did terrible things and now i have to deal with the mess and like i like that amy points out it's a very human moment with yondo where he goes yeah no actually you're right you did lie to me and everything that I, you told me about my life was a lie and i like that no matter where his story unfolds 
that is still his story. It's not that he's a blank slate that you pop in and he has no characteristics and no larger arc. He does have a story and that story tells itself almost, even if you drop him into a movie that is conceptually as far away from Black Panther as you could imagine. I think um, Bradley mentioned the reason why they settled on the idea of what if T'Challa became Star-Lord was because... Um, she would just look the math. She was like, she wanted to do a Guardians of the Galaxy episode where somebody else was abducted by mistake. And the only actor who was, I think, roughly the same age as Chris Pratt was Chadwick Boseman. So it ended up being T'Challa wow. almost by luck, which is great. Also, like a whole bunch of really great stories about behind the scenes where Bozeman was one of the first actors to sign on, apparently, uh, with absolutely no hesitation because he loves the role and was very proud of the role. And some suggestion from producers that he at that stage had a diagnosis and he knew that he would have very limited time to do as much as he wanted to do in the role. So leaving a legacy was important to him. But apparently, yeah, he, he read the scripts. He loved them. Uh, and he took notes. He loved how funny he got to be here. And in fact, he actually asked Ryan Coogler if he could make Black Panther 2 funnier um, because hmm. of how well he played the comedy here, which I love as well. And they also recorded his role last because he loved the scripts. He was working on the scripts, but he was doing another role with another accent. Uh, I presume it must have been Maul Rainey's Black Bottom. And he wanted to get back into the Wakandan accent properly. Uh, in order to play the role, which is just kind of like, I love that it's like, no, even in voice acting, I'm going to be that particular about my craft. I'm not right. going to toss it, it off. it shows. Yeah. Like, not even with just yeah. him, but pretty much everyone across the board here sounded much more natural than uh, doing voice acting. I don't know if that's, they just happened to luck out in terms of like the actors who were involved in this. That's but, the like, only point where I have one issue. Okay. okay. The collector annoyed yes. the crap out oh, of Benicia, me. Yeah, Benicia Benicia Del Toro. Del Toro. Oh! <laughs> Like what's really weird about Benicio del Toro is I got a I got a press screener of this, um, and the press screener didn't have finished credits. And I remember watching it, and at various points as I was writing it, I had like a note written down: Benicio del Toro question mark, Benicio del Toro exclamation mark, Benicio del Toro line through because it's definitely not him. Like it's really odd because like Benicio del Toro is an actor; it's very hard to do an impression of. And it seems watching this that even Benicio del Toro can't do a Benicio del Toro impression. I didn't realize it was the same. Yeah. I was like, they should have either just gotten the same person or completely redone the way this character looks. And then I'm like, and now that you're telling me that, I'm like, I'm so confused. <laughs> yeah. and, and what was with that? Like, they they had Benicio Del Toro's character look different. Like, he was like kind of bigger buff. and more muscular. Yeah, like, <laughs> well, what you're doing animation. Like, like, I, was weird. <laughs> I kind of love the idea that Benicio Del Toro is like, yes, I'll do your animated TV show, but I have one condition. <laughs> <laughs> Make me red. I, 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 want, I want eight abs, please. Um, eight single abdominals, please. Um, like that's that's the thing. That was one of my big notes in terms of casting. I to to Casey's original point, I do think the voice acting cast is generally much better here, mm. and I have a crazy theory for why that is. Um, and this is just I have no basis. In fact, this is just observation. I suspect because the Guardians of the Galaxy movies are predominantly special effects driven, so they involve a lot of green screen, a lot of tennis balls, a lot of props. I mm. suspect that the actors might be more used to reacting against nothing or using their voices than, say, Sebastian Stan, who is this, the Queen, or Neil McDonough. Oh, dames and flying Buicks. Um, like, I think that, you know, I think like no, that, Brolin's, observation. Brolin's performance here is really great. Like, yes. I actually love oh my God. Brolin's that He's so there. good. Yeah. Um, I oh, did, phenomenally good. 
Yeah. Um, my one reservation, while we're running through very brief reservations, I did have a slight problem with the character of Korath played by uh, Jimon Honsu, um, reprising his role from Guardians of the Galaxy. And it's not Honsu's uh, problem or Honsu's performance necessarily I have an issue with. I, I found the fanboyism a little bit much. Like, like cause you know the way we talk about how, you know, the shonen protagonist aspect of Star-Lord and like, he's the best at everything. And the, the joke we made about everybody thinking he's a Mary Sue... I, the Korath thing was a little bit too far for me. Like, I love the joke of, you may know me by my other name, Star-Lord, um, as a nice kind of like right, pivot it, on it Guardians. in this yeah, version it, versus yeah. the original. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like they keep that going far, far too long. And it like, it's too much. Like, he feels too much like a cartoon sidekick, ironically enough. Like, where he's like, oh, you know, I don't want to put a label on it, but we're best friends. Stay away from my best friend. He feels like he should be, like, a big-eyed kind of, like, Labrador or something from the way that he's <laughs> he's written and performed. And that kind of was a little bit distracting to me, I must confess. Who's your best friend? I'm your best friend. <laughs> I'm your best friend. <laughs> Which is, and it's so uh, strange because, like, he's like he's played the role in Captain Marvel. He played the role in Guardians of the Galaxies. And, like, I think Honsu's fantastic. I love Honsu who should work more in general but like there is nothing in those performances or that character that suggests raging fanboy um that the, that this episode really leans on yeah I, I it is weird i guess because like prior to him meeting star lord he's working for ronan uh yeah ronan who is quite evil like they're <laughs> you know killing people and whatnot so the fact that he has this kind of inner love for someone who has garnered a reputation across the galaxy for being you know, a uh, intergalactic Robin Hood is weird. It is weird. Um, I but I honestly did find it more me. funny than okay. annoying, to be honest. Like, I, I like Jimon Honsu uh, so much. So I was just glad that he got more to do yeah, that's this fair. time around yeah. than, than he did before. Um, Amy, sorry, yeah, your but- other thing, your, your other complaint then before we circle back around. <laughs> No, that was a fun character, and I, I like I, I had a bit of fun with it. Like maybe it was a bit over the top, but I'm like, eh, it's a gag I can run yeah. with. Like it, it was a gag I think worthy of the time it took in the episode. Yes. Like, yeah, it's yeah. all right. My only other thing, and this is this is, mum, when you watch this, know that you taught me well. It's uh, hi, I'm I'm Nebula. Is this annoying to you at all? <laughs> it makes it makes animating lip movements a lot easier. Um. <laughs> it was the fact that I couldn't see half her face, and Alex is like, "Why? What's wrong with it?" And I'm like, "Cause I can't see half her face, <laughs> and it's a bit weird when I'm having a conversation like this, isn't it?" Um, <laughs> I kind of like, like the film noir aspect of it. To be fair, <laughs> like like she's very much Veronica Lake, which I didn't mind, but sorry. Well, I no, mean, that- look, there were elements to it, but it's because I hear my my mum in my head going, <laughs> like, even if I have like one strand, she's like, "Are you okay? <laughs> like, is that not annoying you? Is that is that annoying you?" And in my head, I'm like, "Well, it's annoying me now. Like, look at it. <laughs> it's not going anywhere." I I, I do reason, think that, that was me. I think that was also a running joke, right? Because yeah. like the the nebula that we know from the original movies is missing that eye, right? Yeah. So like she's covering it for most of the time, and then Benicio del Toro says he make he makes a crack, mm. and then I think that's the first time you actually see that she has an eye there, yeah. and it seems like perhaps he has something to do with that. Like yeah. there's some kind of allusion to some connection between them that they don't fully explain, and I I actually forgot about it until you brought it back up. Yeah. But that also leans into the ending of this episode, which is where you actually do see Peter Quill who has kind of led a normal mm. life, it seems like. Working and at Dairy Ego, Queen. <laughs> right? And Ego shows up, and clearly there's going to be more here. 
So it seems like maybe we will get an answer about maybe more of Nebula, more of this story in particular, because yeah. if uh, Captain Carter is going to get more in the season two, like maybe, you know, this but, lineage will too. But I mean, would you want to do this without Bozeman is the question. Like, cause I, like I, mm. I love this episode so much. And part of why I love it is that it feels like a love letter to Bozeman and to T'Challa. Like, and again, like the thing is when we talk about the idea of like how perfect he is here and how he changes the universe, like one of the reasons why that lands for me is because it's it's like a metaphor for how star how like T'Challa Black Panther like literally changed the world that we are living in today. And that like you see the videos of how much Wakanda forever means to people. And that kind of carries over into into the episode. And so I buy into it. I'm not sure I'd want to see Star-Lord T'Challa voiced by another actor, really, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's, it's, it's rough. Yeah. Like, it, like anyone who, if they do decide to cast someone else, because I do think like doing the voice is a, maybe a little easier to get away with than, you know, recasting the actual actor. But if they do decide to go forward, yeah, it's going to leave a bit of a bad state. I don't think there's anyone who's yeah. going to fill that role and be universally accepted, like r- regardless of what their intentions are in terms of trying to continue the legacy. So, yeah, that, that's a that's a tough question to, to kind of figure out maybe what they could even do. Like maybe they did have plans before this and now, you know, those are wiped out. So we won't get to see any more. I'll be curious because I had one super outlandish theory that I... It's, it's so far off that if I was right, I would actually be shocked. I was like, we've made a massive point of them. There were two things. When they went to nowhere, they were like, it is the dead head of a celestial, like an ancient celestial eternal being. And they were going to pick up something that renewed life, that could restore planets. And that thing got let loose on a celestial body like that, we have been told this show is canon. Is that a potential lead-in for Eternals? Eternals with their celestials and all that sort of stuff. That's interesting. Like it was, it was just, it was to me, I think it was the fact that it was mentioned a couple of times. And to me, I was like, they didn't get off with that, what they went there for. It got let out and like very well, intentionally the did, last think, shot right? you see. Yeah, I thought it was just bits. I thought it was just the open. Was it just bits? Well, regardless, it was bits of it that had been made very apparent throughout the episode. Yeah. This is a head. These are seeds that fix that. And then the last shot you see is like the tangle and the overgrowth coming out of the head. And... I wonder if there are potential repercussions to that, but it's it's so outlandish it might be nothing. It might have just been a nice plot point that worked well for a 30-minute episode. But I don't know. To me, it just felt like something that could have some greater weight. Yeah. I mean, like, there's a lot of really... Like, this is the thing where last week one of my frustrations was that you're just doing the first Avenger with Peggy Carter in the same role, like, right down to the same ending. Mm. Um, and here, I like that there's so much that is so different. Like, little details, like when the collector flips his board and he has, like, Captain America's shield and yeah. Mjolnir in there and all that sort of stuff. And it's, like, our, Thor's hammer. I'm not going to even try to pronounce that. Um, Mew Mew. 
um, as I think Darcy calls him. <laughs> Mew Mew. Um, but like, like he has that, which implies that, you know, he's gone to Earth and the Avengers aren't really a thing. But like, I love the fact the Avengers apparently aren't really a thing, but like everything else on Earth for the moment until Ego arrives is fine because Thanos is no longer a thing. So Thanos hasn't done something like send Loki to Earth, which hasn't like sparred the Mind Stone to create Ultron, for example, or like creating like Wanda Maximoff. I like the idea that like <laughs> T'Challa's like simple sit down, have a nice conversation conversation with Thanos has meant Earth doesn't need superheroes anymore, which is kind of like a lovely kind of ripple effect that isn't really articulated in the episode, but I do adore. I also like, by the way, that the again, in terms of like really odd continuity stuff, the fact that um, the this takes place before Civil War, because it has to take place before Guardians of the Galaxy 2, which means that Gar- it has to take place before Civil War, means that his father's alive. He gets to actually spend time with T'Chaka when he gets back to Earth, which was a small little thing right, that I actually right. really loved. And a small one minor complaint here, uh, which I think is, and again, I worry I'm being churlish when I return to Darren's problems with the animation, but this is an episode that takes place in outer space with aliens and impossible creatures. And you're in animation. You should be able to do absolutely anything you want to do. And oddly enough, it somehow looks less cartoonish than the actual Guardians of the Galaxy movies because you <laughs> don't have the talking raccoon anymore. You don't have the talking tree anymore. And you have the, like, even the stuff like the the tree growing looks the same as the tentacle effects from last week. I, that that a little kind bit of. bugged me. That was just a little bit. Of I mean, so... So Seth Green as Howard the Duck didn't uh, fill any, fill any bit, that like, gap for you. Just a little bit. He has one scene. He has the, <laughs> like make Howard the Duck part of the team, and 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 we're in. Like and you you got me. I will say by the way, I did love that. Like they went out of their way to like include Carrie Coon reprises her role as Proxima Midnight. Tom Vaughn Lawler reprises his role as the Ebony Maw. I love how deep they go into the cast. They're like yeah, you're yeah. coming back for a line. It doesn't matter that you've only got one line, but you're coming back. Um, and and finally, other other thing I want to talk about is very briefly, we talk a lot about Black Panther and T'Challa. I like that it also implicitly illustrates kind of Will, uh, illustrates um, Peter Quill's character. So like, I like that, you know, by contrasting what T'Challa would do in the Guardians movies with Peter Quill, you get a sense of like, not only is T'Challa a remarkable person in one way, but also Peter is a remarkable person in a very different sort of way, in that it, it underscores the idea that, you know, despite his best efforts, he is something of a screw up. And that, you know, Peter Quill becoming Star-Lord maybe wasn't the best thing in the history of the universe. But I like that because it makes him seem more human, if that makes sense. It makes him seem like less perfect. You know, I thought that was interesting as well. Even though he's not, because <laughs> Peter Quill is actually half human or whatever. Yeah, that yeah. Whole story line Ironic, is, right? Ironically enough, yeah. Um, and obviously the cliffhanger you get at the end where maybe Ego destroys Earth. But I, I did like that it's like, like it illustrates that Guardians, the, it makes Guardians of the Galaxy more interesting because all of a sudden that doesn't feel like the most perfect version of events that ever could have happened. Instead, it just feels like, wow, we really survived that by the skin of our teeth. Like the, the <laughs> galaxy, the galaxy survived Guardians of the Galaxy just about, which I kind of like think makes that movie more charming as a bunch of kind of rapscallions who are like in no way suited to the task, perhaps. Yeah, because that's really what it is, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, like the team that T'Challa has with him is almost entirely different than who yes. Peter Quill gets to his side. So it's like, yeah, like Drax is serving stuff in a bar and like his family survived, <laughs> you know, like he, he's not in prison. Mm, like he's not yeah. this idiot who is the muscle for Peter Quill. He's just living his life. 
But then you have uh, Thanos, who is the a Titan, very strong character, who's part of his squad. Yandu, the rest of these Ravagers. Uh, what's her name? Uh, Nebula. Thanos is adopt- Nebula, right. Like, all of them are all actually suited to this task of, like, kind of heisting from the Collector or whatever. Like, even the small things, like, um, like the fact that, like, it's it's Nebula and Nakamura, and, like, mm. you know that this is, slight spoiler alert for what's been announced for later in the season, but, like, Nebula is going to get a focal point in a what-if later on. And so we know that it wasn't like, oh, the actor's not available, so let's just take Nebula and slot her into Gamora's role. It's like, no, we've actually put thought into this, and it's like, no... Nebula and T'Challa would just be drawn together as characters slightly differently than Quill and Gamora would. It's not like you pop anybody into the Star-Lord role and Gamora's like, oh yeah, I'm that's that's my partner now. That's well, my she, just, she has a thing for Star-Lords. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, which again, is, yeah, it's a, it's a, look, we don't shame. We don't shame on this podcast. Um, but like, I like that the episode goes out of its way and does something even small like that, where it's like, no, it, it's, it's Nebula and not Gamora. And that changes the dynamic slightly as well. Um, all right. Is there anything else we want to talk about? Anything we haven't discussed already with regards to the episode? Anything kind of jumping out? Favorite moments? Favorite beats? Uh, I mean, it, it's not much of a complaint, but I, I do wish we would have. I like that they did go back to Wakanda at the end. Yeah. I wish they would have maybe spent a little bit more time there to let us know, like, what happened around there while yeah. T'Challa was gone. But I mean, maybe that'll be something in the future that we get to see. Uh, but if if anything, it did look like Shuri may have been the current Black Panther. Um, yeah. Like her outfit just seemed. But I don't know. Like that could have just been, you know, her. She's an adult. She's wearing something very regal. So I don't <laughs> yeah. know. I, I might have been reading too much into it. But I just would have wanted some kind of a hint as to like what they had to do because, you know. T'Challa went missing. Yeah, That's T'Challa the crown prince. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, to be fair, I mean, I think you can kind of intuit that like under T'Chaka, like it basically continued along its own way, isolated from True. the rest yeah, of the world. Yeah, they would have had him there and, as yeah. a Black Panther for a lot longer, right? And sending, like, you know that they sent missions out into space and stuff. So I imagine, like, Wakanda's still looking at the world going, what the hell's going on out there? Uh, none of that, please. Uh, whilst, like, having a space program now as a result, which I kind of love. Um, and, like, I do love that they they bring back uh, Denai Guerrera as, as Okio. Um, like just for one line, just for the, that sounds a lot like genocide. I love that they brought her back <laughs> just so there could be that moment in the crowd, which I, I kind of admire again, in terms of the commitment to getting the cast here. All right. What about yourself, Amy? Any closing thoughts on the episode? Anything we haven't discussed already? Anything jumping out at you? No, I th- I think I mentioned all the, the main things that kind of jumped out to me, but no, it, it was a lovely send off and a wonderful love letter. And I'm glad it went about the character the way it did um, because that made for a lovely story and we sometimes don't get enough of those. So I appreciated it. Perfect. All right. Well, that's it, I think, for this week. Uh, We'll be back next week. We'll be talking about what happens when Loki does something vaguely mysterious and ominous on Earth. Um, Until then, I've been Darren Mooney. I've been Casey Wosu. And I'm very confused now and excited, but I'm Amy Campbell. (laughs) Excelsior, true believers!